It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. People can't stop talking about Oprah running for president in 2020, which we find problematic. We discussed that and negotiations between the president and Congress regarding DACA in today's episode. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pansy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Paint Suit Politics. This year, we are really trying to grow Paint Suit Politics audience, and we found the most successful way that people find the show is from all of you. So if you will share Paint Suit Politics on your Facebook page, on your Twitter, email your friends. I like to personally take people's phones and show them how to listen to podcasts and show them how to find it on their phone. I think that works really well as well. We would love that. You guys are our biggest fans, and you are also our best salespeople. So help us grow Paint Suit Politics this year by sharing, rating, and review. Thank you so much. Before we dive into our topics of discussion today, we want to take a second to say, I mean, California cannot catch Catch a break. break. Mm, mm, These mm. mudslides are just terrible. And I heard a, a new count of the number of people who have passed away as of the time that we're recording on Wednesday morning. And so we really want to send Lots of good thoughts to our friends there in California, and I hope that you're getting all of the help that you need to get through this. So I wanted to talk about my role as a city commissioner really quickly before we got started. Before we get started, I had a three and a half hour city commission meeting last night. Paducah became the ninth city in the state of Kentucky to pass a fairness ordinance, adding the LGBTQ community to our civil rights protections and our human rights commission ordinance. Yay! So, yeah, yeah, first of all, yay. It was very, it was wonderful. I'm going to cry this whole time, so everybody get ready. It was, you know, it's really intense to have people you love look at you and say, thank you for seeing me, thank you for protecting me, thank you for recognizing my humanity. That is really hard to put into words. 
But at the same time, it's also very hard to hear people say, I feel under attack. I don't feel understood. I just, you know, I went into that meeting. There was never a doubt how I was going to vote, obviously. I feel very strongly about equality. I feel very strongly that I couldn't look my friends in the eyes. I couldn't look my children in the eyes. Should I vote it any other way? But, it, you know, and it's, it's also frustrating because I'm being called a liberal piece of trash in my email box and on comment boards while, like, this is the position of the K- Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, a true liberal institution, let me tell you, because it's pro-diversity and it's pro-business, whatever. But it's just hard, like, you know, I don't like it when the mean people come out. It's just a crappy feeling. Nobody wants to be called a trash. People on comment boards are calling me mentally ill. That sucks. Anyway, you slice it. But like, it was really hard for me. And what I didn't expect is like, when just nice, pleasant people come up and are super nice and respectful and are just like, I know you'll have a hard job, but I really feel like this is my religious beliefs are under attack. Like, I hate that. I hate people feeling disconnected or feel, leaving our meetings feeling frustrated or angry at a local level where they can look their representatives in the face and like express their sincere concerns and to leave upset and frustrated and angry. Oh, it just, it breaks my heart into, I hate it. And it's like, I, I know that's just the reality, but oh, it just doesn't make it any less hard. I guess if I was being honest with myself, I thought I'll, I'll get in there. And when we really talk it through, people will be like, well, I disagree with you, but I'm not mad. But that's just not going to be the reality every time. And it really upsets me. Well, Sarah, you talk all the time about the need for all of us to do the hard work of, you know, running into each other's thoughts and beliefs. And that's what you're doing. And yeah, it is going to be pretty miserable sometimes. But I think it's important to remember that. And I think it's important for all of us to remember, you know, my second grade teacher constantly said, your rights end where someone else's begin. Mm hmm. And I think that that's the message in these conversations. And there is a balance to be had in terms of protecting the way people feel about their expression of religious belief. But as you are concerned about that, and I know you know this, you have to think, too, about the people whose government just told them that they matter in their community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's an expression of religious belief as well, where that we're all we're all one. And you're as valuable as your neighbor. And so these are tough conversations. But that this honestly is part of why I love local government, Mm -hmm. because you're doing all of that. And it's all being aired out and everybody's processing it and working through it together. Well, it's just what I said in the meeting is that I have so often I view the decisions I make through the lens of my children as a mother. And if I had Griffin on one side saying, I'm going to lose my business. I cannot do this in good conscience. And this business I have built, I'm going to lose it, mother. I'm going to lose my business. And if I had Amos, on the other hand, saying, I'm gay and I want to be recognized for who I am, I could sit with Griffin. I could look him in the face. I could explain my vote and never fear for a moment that he would doubt who that I love him. I could not look Amos in the face and make the same vote and explain to him in the same way that I love him. I just couldn't. And so... You know, that's how I have to think about it. If I, if these rights bump up against each other, then I have to think, okay, well, if let's put this in the, this, the starkest possible terms. What if they were my children bumping up against each other? What would I do? And, you know, it was never a doubt for me, but it doesn't make it any less, it would not make it any less painful to have to explain that to Griffin as it was any less painful to explain it or attempt to explain it to the citizens in the room because I really do love them. I know that sounds stupid, but like, I don't want them to leave upset. I don't want them to leave frustrated or feel like their government doesn't care about them. Like, it's just so hard. Well, every decision that you're going to have to make is a balancing of interests. And it sounds like you have prioritized people's interest in their personal identity and feeling accepted by their community over the economic interests of other people who Um, have a religious interest that contributes to an ultimate economic outcome. I mean, that's the conversation you just described with your kids. And I think people have to understand that that's the that's the choice that you made and other people would choose differently. But I'm proud of you. I know this has been hard on you. We've talked a lot about it um, off the podcast. And I also want to say that I'm proud of the work being done at the state level in Ohio on this issue. Mm. We've had Alana Yocum of the Equality Ohio organization on the podcast before, 
and they're continuing to work hard to get fairness legislation passed at a statewide level. And part of my testimony in Ohio on this point was these local ordinances are fantastic. And someone shouldn't drive to work in a city that has a different standard than the city that they live in. You know, your morning commute shouldn't alter the rights that you have. And so these local ordinances are critically important to putting pressure on state legislatures to take these topics up. And so I think it's a wonderful thing that Paducah has done this. I hope more cities follow suit. Kentucky's a really interesting mix of very small cities passing fairness ordinances with some large cities still out there having not done it. So this is a really great step for our state, I think. And I just have to remind myself... As we transition into Oprah, Oprah doesn't make everyone happy. It's hard for me because I love her so much that I think everyone loves her as much as I do. Not accurate. Not true. Some people don't love Oprah. I am super confused by that position. I cannot cannot understand it really at all. But alas, it is true. So we're going to talk a little bit about Oprah. And I think that there's a bigger conversation to be had here. One of our listeners sent us an article from Susan Faludi that ran in December about how even though we're seeing individual patriarchs uh, exit stage left because of the <laughs> Me Too movement, the patriarchy itself is still alive and well, as you can see in a lot of s- structural things happening under the Trump administration and elsewhere in life. And I think that Oprah's speech and the reaction to it very much symbolizes that, that instead of us covering a powerful, long-term, well-respected media figure saying in unapologetic, clear, aggressive terms that it's time for the patriarchy to be rethought, instead of talking about that, We have run to assess her as a presidential candidate for the purpose Mm -hmm. of tearing her down. I mean, that's really what it's been. A lot of think pieces intending to tear down someone who just very succinctly expressed what the last few months of cultural conversation have been about. And just to fully flesh this out, many, many of those think pieces were from liberals. Many, 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 many. And it wasn't just think pieces from the media. I saw a lot of posts from my liberal friends, my liberal male friends, with an, like that had full eye rolls in them like, oh, come on. We're the smart ones. We're the ones that have experienced candidates. I can't believe you people are even entertaining this notion. Of course, Oprah can't be president. And it made me want to scream. It made me want to scream because why not? Like, we can have that debate. That's not what this show is about. That was my first, my first problem. But also, like, not the point. Not the point. I saw someone, and I apologize that I can't remember who it was, say on Twitter, um, that she predicted her saying, my cat would make a great president, and then joking about, oh, but my cat doesn't have a coherent policy on Pakistan. And then she, like, showed a, another photo on Twitter of someone saying Oprah should be president and like a legitimate journalist saying what's Oprah's president on pre- what's Oprah's policy on Pakistan I mean it is ludicrous uh. she did not give one hint of presidential ambition in those remarks I understand that Stedman had a moment with a with a journalist where he said oh maybe and then Gail later said no Stedman thought they were asking would she be a good president and of yeah. course she would Whatever the circumstances, that was a really big deal speech that we've just missed altogether. Well, and I, it's, I struggle because, yes, that speech was polished and that was not a speech to accept a humanitarian award and entertainment show. Right. It was much bigger than that. She knew that. She knew that when she was making it. Was it arguably of presidential caliber? Sure. Yeah, Definitely. Because, you know, so many analogies were made to Barack Obama's speech at the Democratic National Convention, which was unitive. Now, I think that we all want our president, current president, all presidents, to speak to all Americans in a way that Obama did at the convention, in a way Oprah did at the Golden Globes. And maybe that's what we're responding to. So, like, I get that that triggered it a little bit, that it seemed like we could have described the speech as presidential, 
without CNN and Los Angeles Times deciding that the angle they're going to pursue is, is she running for president? They shouldn't have never been asking Stedman that question in the first place. Like, that's y'all's, that is on y'all. Like, that shouldn't have been the angle from the moment pen hit paper or fingers hit keys, you know? And that's, CNN had something out mere moments after she finished her speech. It was like Oprah Presidential Watch. And that, to me, is irresponsible That, to me, is reflective of the patriarchy in the news media, and it's reflective of we are much more comfortable building her up so we can tear her down than we are addressing the real cultural critique she put forth in that speech. Also, dear CNN and friends, Mm -hmm. if you are going to consistently criticize the current occupant of the Oval Office for not taking that office seriously— don't turn around and do things that show that you don't take that office seriously either. Yes, like treating it like a reality show. With the who, who's next? I mean, come on. Giving a good speech doesn't make you a candidate for the presidency. No. There is an interesting conversation to be had about why that speech was so impactful and about the fact that it reminded me of Michelle Obama's speech mm-hmm. at the DNC. When we hear from powerful black women in very direct terms in a forum where no one's interrupting them, Word. we all stop and take notice. Right about that. That's mm-hmm. an interesting mm-hmm. thing. Look, hearing from voices that we've not heard from before is captivating the attention of the nation. How can we do more of that? Mm-hmm. And awesomely, Lovey said, um, had a really great post in which she said, you liked Oprah? You want Oprah to run for president? Great. Here's a list of black women right, running right now. Donate to them. We'll put it in the show notes. I think that's a great response. That is a great response. And it also just takes me to the importance of the conversations that we've been having about communication and about how we treat each other in our workplaces and how Me Too continues to unfold outside of Hollywood. Our listener, Emmy, posted an article about the importance of soft skills in the tech community. And Mm. she posed the question, why are things like empathy and equality and adaptability to change classified as soft skills. And something about that just pushed every button that I have and brought up a lot of stuff for me. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, what I came to on Twitter is that we should stop referring to those as soft skills and start calling them essential skills Mm -hmm. because they are in the modern workplace If you don't have good soft skills, you might as well not be there. You're a walking liability. You're going to cost your organization a ton of money because of turnover. You know, you're going to run through people. You're not going to be able to develop good talent and keep them along. I'm so tired, though, of hearing about people who are alleged geniuses at the, quote, hard skills, but we ignore the fact that their bedside manner sucks. Mm -hmm. That's... Mm -hmm. As a if huge that, part of dissembling the patriarchy is saying that that's unacceptable now. And as if that as as if having the hard skills but not the essential skills doesn't come with any cost. Exactly. And listen, the hard skills are teachable. The essential skills are not. Mm. I, I don't know a better way to lay this out other than kind of the Jake and Jane example I was giving on Twitter. If you have two people working in your company and Jane has the essential skills and Jake has like amazing technical skills, but Jake is alienating everyone he works with, including some of your um, customers, and Jane is not, give Jane some training. That investment in training to get her up to Jake's level on the hard skills will cost nothing compared to the costs of Jake's behavior. Mm-hmm. And also... She probably needs that training because Jake got it in a variety of informal forms from his buddies and from people who were invested in his success in a way that they weren't invested in Jane's success. There's this is like the conversation about privilege and nobody wants to have it on a granular level. We'd rather fight about how Oprah had Dr. Oz on one time and that disqualifies her from an office she's not even seeking. But I think we need to get really granular about that conversation, about the opportunities for women in the workplace, about how women are treated in the workplace today, about how women are treated in conversations outside of the workplace, just in social settings. That, to me, is how we keep this ball rolling in a productive direction. 
So what I'm hearing from you is that you might have concerns about the um, validness of the discrimination suit currently brought against Google, alleging that they discriminate against white men. I struggle to even discuss that topic. I really do. (laughs) I do not have any nuance for that. That guy's so awesome, though. Come on. He's a little awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I can't discuss it in a, like, intelligent, um, thoughtful way because it is so ludicrous. It is so ludicrous. I hope that he has filed that lawsuit ironically. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start filing lawsuits ironically. That sounds fun. I have a law degree. I can do that. It's kind of, you know, there are days when I think maybe Jeff Sessions is a genius and is forcing Congress to actually enact legislation on marijuana. And that's what this is all about. I'm going to choose to see it that way, right? Because it makes <laughs> me feel better about the world that I live in. I actually, so I'm going to hope that he filed this lawsuit, ironically. I do have a nuanced thing to say. I hope people don't throw things at me. Okay. So I read these articles about the Justice Department about Donald Trump's shrinking of the government and shrinking of the presidency. And I think, okay. I, I don't, my brain wants to panic. And what I, what I say in those moments to myself, and tell me if I'm just being naive and too optimistic, or if I'm being nuanced. My brain says, maybe this isn't a totally bad thing. Maybe, for better or for worse, it is important to have a cyclical expansion and contraction of our government. It is unrealistic to think that every single thing the federal government does and every single position inside the federal government is at max efficiency, is 100% essential, and so... Perhaps there is a a natural cycle to this and that there will be some um, opportunities for growth, adaptation, innovation from all this contraction. I was really trying there. Did you you feel my effort? I did, and I appreciate it. And I hope that that would be the perspective that you would have if someone like me were in the Oval Office. I would for sure be thinking about shrinking – some of our excess governmental capacity. And that is not because I value efficiency above all things. I mean, this is the table that we need to set, right? We talk about efficiency like it is the be-all and end-all. There should be some redundancy. There should be some people being groomed for different positions. True, true, there should true. be people who make transition from administration to administration so we're not just flipping a switch when the government changes parties or hands or uh, chief executives. So efficiency, I think, is one goal. It's not the only goal. What I would be looking for is good stewardship of taxpayer dollars. I think that requires a lot more intention than this administration is putting into the process. But if this debacle helps highlight some of those opportunities, or if it helps highlight the value and validity of some of the things happening in government, that's good, too. We should have good information instead of just assuming that the status quo was correct under Obama and is wrong under Trump, or that it's going to be perfect under Trump and wrong under the next person. I mean, chaos does... Uh, create opportunities for change. And like we've always said, copying dear old Joe Bush, he is a chaos candidate. He is a chaos president. But we should define what we're talking about more specifically. That's part of my issue with this whole experience conversation around Oprah. One of the questions that we should ask ourselves is experience doing what? And a good consideration for all of us to have, and I hate that we're going to have it because Oprah gave a good speech and we, we broke the good speech talking about it this way. What is the job of the president? I think Donald Trump really squarely presents that picture, and this might be a good transition to our discussion next about his meeting on DACA. What do we want the president to actually be? 
For my money, if what we want the president to be is someone who acts with dignity, negotiates with foreign leaders, is intellectually curious, is a good executive who can run the government effectively by delegating to other experts, and who can bring the country together in really difficult moments like Charlottesville or like these mudslides in California or like the hurricanes we've been dealing with. If I worked for Oprah Winfrey, I would argue that she had been building those skills her entire career and was absolutely ready to step into that office. Oh, my God. Can you even with Oprah, like, going to hurricanes and hugging people and helping? Oh, I can't. I can't even be there. I would just. mm. But these are serious questions. I argue that Barack Obama lacked the requisite experience to be the president because I really value executive experience. I'll take Oprah's executive experience over a first-term senator's executive experience. That's why I like governors running for president versus uh, Congress members. But that's, that's because I come at what the president should be with a list and a lens. Mm -hmm. And my list is probably not comprehensive for all of America. And a good discussion to have in advance of 2020 is what is America's list? Who are we trying to hire for this job? And here's the other thing. It's always going to change. You know, that's the beauty of the election is that America needs different types of leadership and different types of people. Although apparently we've decided we only need white guys, but whatever. And one brown guy. That we need different things at different times and that the leadership style of the presidents are very different. And, you know, I think the other discussion, which I will use to wrap up because we can't get into this, is what Donald Trump presents most clearly to me is, do we have a good enough process when we realize, we realize we've made the wrong choice? And on that point, we will transition. Up next, we're going to talk about DACA and Trump's strange public negotiations. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues and I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought this is just how time feels now and there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash Pantsuit. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk 
tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in japan they like a loose flowy look over there to battle the heat i will be adopting that strategy with that skirt pack your bags with high quality essentials from quince go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns that's q u i n c e dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash pantsuit So we are going to talk about the DACA negotiations. Beth, you watched the negotiations. I did watch them in their entirety. And I have categorized my comments into the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay, so I I will say, first of all, I think that overall, and I don't care what motivated this meeting, all right? Let's just be clear. I think this meeting happened because of fire and fury. That's fine with me. I accept it. I accept the world as it is. <laughs> I think this was a good meeting. I think it was good to have a bipartisan, bicameral meeting. I think it was good to have the press there. And I thought that it was transparent on some points that usually don't receive a lot of transparency. I thought that Dick Durbin did a good job, as he often does. I love Dick describing Durbin. Describing how, how difficult it is to do anything comprehensive. I mean, he said, I have wanted to do comprehensive immigration reform forever. It's really hard. And maybe we do need to take it one step at a time. So I thought that was great. I thought it was great to point out that the right-wing media is going to hate this. And there are some on the far left that are going to hate if they do a bipartisan compromise on DACA, whatever that compromise is. And the standard for success should be pissing both of those people off at the same time. (laughs) Well, I do think as a lawyer, I always found that the best judges understood that neither side should leave the courtroom very happy. That's probably what should happen with legislation. It should probably be that everybody gives a little bit. The other thing that I want to say, and I know this is going to be controversial, I think this is the version of Donald Trump that a lot of people thought they were voting for. I think a lot of people were willing to accept that he mostly doesn't know what he's talking about, but he can sing with the radio enough and bring his skills of conducting a meeting, bringing people together, putting pressure on them, trying to get to a deal. Bringing the cameras. Bringing the cameras, because the cameras are a certain form of pressure. Heck yeah. I mean, he set this meeting up arguably in a way that increases the heat on Republicans to solve this problem. And so I applaud him for that. I do not think that he has the level of acumen that he that he sells and that many of his supporters believe. But I do think that this is about as good as it's going to get with a Donald Trump presidency. And it's not bad. And it is something new. And I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Now, he got on Twitter and was nasty to Diane Feinstein this morning. And so it's always going to move. My mom and I were having a conversation. My dad was at that American Farm Bureau conference in Nashville where he spoke this week. And my parents were talking about how commentators kept saying he needs to do more of this and less on Twitter. And mom and I agreed that the problem is Twitter is who he really is. And everything else is a stretch for him. Right. And so it is going to always default. So I I can still say this meeting was a good idea that wasn't horribly executed. Here's the bad. (laughs) (laughs) There was an unbelievable lack of diversity in the room. Were there any actual immigrants there? Well, the senator from Hawaii, um, who is an immigrant, was there. Other than that, no. I mean, she talked about how she is the only immigrant in the United States Congress right now. And she did speak, and I appreciated that. But there was a huge lack of diversity, even with some clearly intentional choices to create some diversity in the room. It took 20 minutes for a woman to speak. Mm. Martha McSally was the first person to lend her voice to the conversation. 
I thought Kevin McCarthy was very rude to Dianne Feinstein. I actually thought that President Trump did a better job ensuring that she was given the floor than most of the Republican men in the room. Ugh. I really hated the conversation about merit-based immigration. The president kept saying, how could anybody disagree with merit-based immigration? I mean, I do. I'm sorry. And, and I'm a Republican, but I just think it's antithetical to our values. And I've talked a lot about that on the podcast, so I won't belabor the point today, but I thought that was annoying. Here's my category of the ugly. <laughs> I'm looking hard at you, Lindsey Graham. The <laughs> level of sucking up to this president, and I understand that they've all decided that it's effective, but it's gross. It's so gross. It's gross and it's obvious. Here's the thing, because I'm, listen, this, let me be the voice of, I love to be the voice of pragmatism. I'm like, I guess if that's how you get things done and you're, it's important you to get things done for your constituents, I don't, I get it, I guess, sort of. I think you can do it without just layering it on so thick, though. But I mean, that's what he likes. You're not doing it unless you say it 15 times. You're it won't right. work. It's true. I thought that it was unfortunate that chain migration has been fully adopted as a term by all these senators and everyone's talking about it. You know, chain migration, I wanted somebody, this is my problem with the, the whole sycophant phenomenon that we're seeing. We don't know how to disagree. And this is really ugly. This meeting went fine until somebody had the audacity to say, wait a second, Let's talk about how the wall as an idea doesn't actually solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And then it became talking over and bullying and more going back to Trump rally talking points. And I wish somebody would have said chain migration just means families. Yeah. Like if we're part of a family values kind of party. I don't, or country. Do just, what, what are we thinking here? So the overall attitude still about immigration, I think is horrific. However, I'm going to go back to the good. I do think they're going to get something done on DACA because this was a very big display of the importance of it from all angles to walk away and fail at it. I mean, here's the thing. I think that because there's a part of me going back to your first point about Trump feeling or this is what Trump wanted from people. People wanted from Trump, excuse me, this negotiation tactic. And I think this is where we run into the hard limits of his skills. Because there's a part of me that's like, well, what does he do in a corporate negotiation, like you said, when somebody disagrees with him? But I guess because usually they're real estate, and it's what we've talked about, that sort of um, zero-sum transactional world. So he just bullies them into getting what he wants, or he walks. And so his skills are so limited in a scenario where we have to disagree and where we're talking about something as literally the – I mean, honestly, look, let's be real, though. He thinks about immigration in a transactional way. That's why he wants to talk about merit-based, right? He wants everything to be zero-sum and transactional. And so that's why he wants to force it into this box when it's really not – it does not belong in that box. But he doesn't have any skills. And I think you're right that a lot of us don't have skills about we just don't know what to ha- what to do then, and he certainly doesn't. And so, you know, we run into the hard limits of his skill set. Well, and it's true for the congressmen and women in the room, too. There wasn't anybody, with the possible exception of Steny Hoyer, who I thought was very productive in this meeting. There were very few people capable of saying, here's what I heard you say. Here's what I heard you say. What I see is this. What question are we trying to get to on this? There was a lot of just filibustering. I was so excited when Martha McSally started talking, but then what she was talking about is how the first deadline they need to meet is the budget funding deadline, because the military funding is in jeopardy if they don't meet that deadline. So let's do that and then get to DACA because that's a March deadline. That's a fair point, but if you're going to have a productive meeting, everybody needs to agree what that meeting is about and what you're trying to accomplish within the confines of that meeting. What you have here are a bunch of people who are just used to giving speeches and grandstanding. Now, you can see that they really don't know how to sit together for an hour and accomplish something. This right. was a, can we all agree this is important meeting? Oh, Lord. That's really the only thing that came out of it. We all agree this is important. 
There wasn't, and, and this was criticism of the president that a lot of people walked away with. And listen, this is fair executive criticism. He did not give a direction. He said, this is on you. I'll sign what you send me. This is your thing. I want you to get it done. I love Congress getting something done on DACA. To put all this back into context, we have this crisis moment because Congress has done nothing on this issue for over a decade. And the Obama administration said, well, if Congress isn't going to do it, we are by executive order. And Trump said, no, we're not doing it by executive order. Now, we can debate why he said that. I think we all know why. Again, I'm going to accept the world as it is. It's a good thing that there's pressure on Congress to get this into a, a longstanding, certainly enforced law. So that's where we are. That said, like, we're just today all agreeing that this is important and needs to be moved on. And the president should have Congress do it, but the president should give Congress some direction. I want a clean bill, right? I want a clean DACA bill. I want it by this date. Uh, If it doesn't have this, I'm out. If it does have this, the only thing he kept saying is that he wants the wall as part of it. But that doesn't even make sense legislatively. That's where we start to see the limits of what he understands about the process. So I do understand he had some things to say about a part of the process that has gone away, which is earmarks. He did. And our listener, Bren, asked for kind of a mini primer on earmarks. So if you are newer to the process and don't remember when John McCain spent a lot of time giving speeches about this, I want to remind you that earmarks are part of Congress's discretionary spending authority. We talked in a previous primer about the congressional budget process. This is Congress's constitutional responsibility to decide how to allocate federal funds. And there are two components, mandatory and discretionary spending. So mandatory spending is entitlement spending, and discretionary spending is basically everything else. Earmarks are part of that discretionary process. Usually, with the discretionary process, Congress is allocating funds for particular purposes. It's not allocating funds for particular projects and to particular vendors. When a member of Congress gets an earmark into the process, that means that Congress has specifically set aside money for a very particular project, which takes that project often out of the competitive bidding cycle and management of the executive branch. Normally, administrative agencies would oversee the specifics of allocating funding that Congress does. This is where Congress kind of circumvents the executive branch then and says, no, I'm going to actually spend money this way. And it's often referred to as pork barrel spending, right? This is how members of Congress get money home. I want a particular bridge built or I want a base built in such and such town. This is how they get things back to their constituents. And I saw a great piece in The Atlantic about this that we'll put in the show notes that made the case that there will always be earmarks. It's just a question of whether they're happening in the administrative branch or the in the executive branch or the legislative branch. And I think that's true because members of Congress can certainly lobby for these things um, if, if they're not doing it in the legislative process. There are two kinds of earmarks, hard and soft. A hard earmark specifies the amount of money that's being allocated. A soft earmark commits funding, but not an amount. And often these are not, they don't have the binding force of law, but usually once they're done, they're followed. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh. 
Gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. A beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. So to give you some perspective... Between 1994 and 2005, earmarks represented less than 2% of the total federal budget. So they're a very small amount of money that we're talking about, but they are a major talking point for people who want to talk about waste and abuse in the federal budget. And there are lots of watchdog groups who publish lists of what earmarks have been squeezed in by what members of Congress and for what projects. So in 2010, a major part of uh, taking control of Congress for John McCain and John Boehner was this rule that Republicans enacted prohibiting earmarks. At the time, John Boehner said, earmarks have become a symbol of a Congress that has broken faith with the people. This earmark ban shows the American people we are listening and we are dead serious about ending business as usual in Washington. The problem is, and I'm going to quote from The Atlantic on this, in the six years, in the last six years, party leaders and rank and file lawmakers alike have discovered that earmarks were far more significant to the functioning of government than the sum of their cost to taxpayers would indicate. Their elimination further the devolution of power from Congress to the executive branch, a source of particular frustration for congressional Republicans who had long railed against the president's use of executive actions on policies the legislature had declined to approve. And more consequentially, the ban contributed to gridlock in Washington by robbing party leaders of their ability to sweeten legislation from recalcitrant members, where in the past they could offer earmarks to buy votes, now they were empty-handed. Stymied by constant revolts from Tea Party conservatives, even Boehner acknowledged that he had been left with little leverage. With the grease gone, the train got stuck. And this article appeared in The Atlantic shortly after Donald Trump was elected. So this isn't a new idea, but during the meeting... I don't know why this was on his mind. He met someone must have talked to him or he saw something on television, but it was really a a big talking point for the president that the current process is broken. It furthers hatred among the parties. Nobody goes to dinner anymore. And you guys should really talk about putting earmarks back in the process to solve that. So it was interesting that that was on his mind during this DACA meeting. 
Well, I struggle with this, I'll be honest, because there is a the pragmatic part of Sarah that this appeals to that I think, yeah, that's how LBJ and FDR and these people we know who like, and I, I'm talking particularly about LBJ, Speaker of the House, like this is how they got it done. Carrot sticks, carrot sticks. And then there's the feminist part of Sarah that says, nope, that's just the way that particular group got it done. That's one version of how to get things done. And we don't have to go back to that. We need to get people in there who see that there are other ways to get things done except through carrots and sticks. And so I have this little battle in my brain. Feminist Sarah usually wins, but I do think for the the lack of creativity, the lack of vision, the smallness of approach is why we think this is the only way. To I think get it's a red done. herring. I mean, if we had earmarks, would our political culture suddenly be healed? No, that's not what's driving this. Earmarks are not why people cast the votes they cast. This isn't why the Tea Party came out of nowhere and became such a force in politics. This is not going to calm the resistance. I don't I do not think that. Look, if earmarks help get some things done, I don't care. It's a very small part of the budget. There are enough people paying attention that they can call out abuse when it happens. So I don't I don't really care about this one way or the other. But to act like this is what has kept Congress stuck in the mud, I think is pretty silly. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. And we will be back on Tuesday with another episode. And, of course, you can also find us over on our other podcast, The Nuanced Life, in which we tackle the nuanced areas of life outside of politics, from parenting to organization to dating. And so so please check us out on your podcast player and subscribe and rate both podcasts so other people can find Pantsuit Politics. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you so much to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, Leslie, Sabrina, and George. You can join us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Paint Suit Politics and on Twitter at Paint Suit Politic, no S. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com or reviews are always helpful and you can leave one through the Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Dante Lima, the composer of our Pantsuit Politics theme music.